Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Boy, the Lord has done a trick on you guys this morning. Ten degrees, you get up out of bed to come into come to the church, you make your way, you have to get you, you get to hear the youth pastor. Then you get to drive home in the blizzard. I tell you what. I tell you what, uh, I, I'm not a fan of cold. I grew up in Arkansas, but I spent 12 years in Colorado and then another seven years in Oregon. So I was kind of sick of the white and the cold stuff, the cold and the white stuff, or whatever you want to call it. And everybody that knows us that's coming to the office know that me and Jessica do not like the cold. Her office will be about 85 degrees with the door closed, and mine will be about 75 degrees with the door closed. And I'm going to steal something, Jessica, from yours, Jessica. I'm going to, I'm going to steal something from you. You told me a great quote the other day. Jessica said, I don't like anything colder than my age. <laughs> I'm going to follow that. I don't like anything colder than my age. Well, I'm glad you guys braved the colds. Thank you for being here. I, I have a few thoughts. Uh, hopefully, I'll get you to the hospital before anyone else today, if I can. Um, but I have a few thoughts about the purpose, the plan, and the person. And uh, just a few thoughts. I think every, I three points and ten points a point. And it's not going to be a big deal. And I'm preaching a, in a coat, which I've never done before. I'm nice and cozy. Everybody knows. I got three flannel shirts underneath this flannel jacket. But as the NFL football season winds down, and as I start my six, I call it my dirt, uh, um, Aaron Rodgers calls his uh, darkness, re- darkness retreat. Aaron Rodgers calls his a darkness retreat. I call mine my six month of depression until the next football season. I really get down when football's not being played. I love any kind of football. I don't care if it's flag football or little kids running around football or high school football. I love football. And I wanted to ask you if you've ever seen these uh, things that pop up and their memes uh, making the worst quarterback possible. Has anyone ever seen those? where they, they hodgepodge all these different guys, different quarterbacks, and they put all their worst traits all together on one picture. Well, I got one for you, and here's, here's one for you. Building the worst quarterback possible, and uh, you're, you're welcome to laugh and go ooh or ooh or ah when I mention these. So this is building the worst possible quarterback, Patrick Mahomes' voice. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard Patrick Mahomes' voice? It sounds like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Google it later. Aaron Rodgers, all you Packers fans, Aaron Rodgers' darknesses retreats. Everyone heard he had to go to a darkness retreat to find out what he's going to do next? That was pretty bad. <laughs> Kyler Murray's height, I think the guy's shorter than I am. Dak Prescott's turnover ability, right? Tom Brady's marriage. Ooh, hey, hey, if we can't make, if we can't make fun of people who are playing a game they played as kids and making multi-million dollars, who can we make fun of, right? Who can we make fun of? You know, I'm sure when they see these lists, when some of the guys on this list, they see it, I'm sure a lot of them get a kick out of it. And, I'm, I, and I guess they, they get on with it. But it's, it's never good to be on the worst list, right? It's never quite good to be on the worst list. And so I wanted to kind of take off this and make the worst possible Christian. I didn't use anybody's names in here. Don't worry. I didn't use anyone. Here's the worst possible Christian that I wanted to just, just to bring up. Um, and there's, uh, I got a picture of it, I think. Don't I? Okay, so, he, sorry, James Whiston. Sorry. Uh, okay, no purpose, no power, no understanding of purpose, 
no understanding of the power and no understanding of the person, no understanding of the spiritual battle that they are in, a battle not against flesh and blood, but about the spiritual darkness of evil, right? So that's the worst possible Christian. We don't want to be on the worst list, right? No one wants to be on the worst list. We all want to be bold, Jesus-speaking, disciple-making, radical Jesus followers. And that's what I want all our kids to do. All our kids, little tiny kids, all the way to graduating high school. I want them to be bold, bold Jesus followers. Um, and I, but I do think it's a, we all need a good understanding of the purpose and the power and the person in our lives. And yes, I did find a picture of the ultimate quarterback. And here's a picture of the ultimate quarterback. Nice. Now, all you Packer fans, just calm down. That's not a Packers helmet. Jesus wouldn't play for the Packers. He'd play for the Saints. Because the last shall be first. You know, that whole thing. So don't, you know, Jesus is the ultimate leader through life's challenges. His play calls, his parables have taught us so many things. And there's no other way to win at life than through Jesus. There's no other way to God but through Jesus. He's fighting the battle. We're just fighting the battle that he's already won. It's a great song. Fighting the battle that he's already won. There are so many great purposes in the Bible that we can inject into our faith to help us be radical followers of Jesus. There's a lot of great purposes, a lot of greats in the Bible. Do you remember some of the greats from your life as a kid? Anybody remember the, the best song that was out when you were a kid or the best toy that was out when you were a kid? I remember some of those because I grew up in the greatest two decades in the world, in the history of the world, I think. I grew up in the 80s when I was a kid. I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. I think there were some great decades. I was 13 in 1987. Whoa, everybody's starting to do math now. <laughs> I was 18 in 1992. So, uh, yes, I'm old. I'm old. That's okay. And being old and being a youth pastor for as long as well, I have always gotten the funniest comments, and I've gotten them. I've only been really full-time at three churches. And some of the coolest, funniest comments that I get, they're not really the coolest. Some of them are backhanded compliments. Like after I get through, and no one's, no one's said any of these here. It's okay. No one's said of these, any of these here. But I get this. The youth pastors, we always get this. You know, After we get through preaching, people say, you keep at it. You're going to be a pastor someday. <laughs> you sounded so good today. You're going to be a pastor someday. Right? And then I get this, too, because we, and you, and you guys know this, if you've ever tried to recruit help for anything, for help for children's ministry or help for youth ministry or, or help doing anything, when, when you ask someone for help and, and someone will go, I've done my time. Relating their time serving the Lord as a prison sentence. That's always funny. That's so funny. But I, growing up in the 80s, I got to see in 1986 the greatest basketball to ever play, the greatest basketball player ever to play the game, a guy named Michael Jordan. I got to see every game of his rookie season. I didn't go to every game of his rookie season. I got to watch it on TV, right? Whitney Houston was the, the, the big hit of, of 1987 when I was a kid. Uh, everybody want to guess what the, the, the best song, Whitney Houston song was back then? No, close. A little later. Yes, John, every Southern Baptist Church member's favorite song. Oh, I want to dance with somebody. Exactly. Exactly. 90s fashion, you could not have told me when I was a kid 
that when I grew up and I had a daughter, that my daughter would be wearing pants like my mother wore. <laughs> Never would have thought in a million years. It all comes back. It all comes back. Now, we're probably, if we think about the greats, we kind of try to think about some of the greats from the Bible, right? So you got the greatest commandment found in the Gospels, right? You got the great promise of the Holy Spirit. You got the great exchange. For our sake, he made him be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And then lastly, this morning, I want to talk about our purpose is the Great Commission, which we all know that really well at this church because we say it at the end of every single service. And I just wanted to talk about the Great Commission today because as a believer, when it comes to our faith, I think it's important to have an understanding of the purpose, the power, and the person. So, understanding the purpose, the Great Commission, okay? So Daniel's been doing this thing of when he reads God's Word, everyone stands up, and I'm going to carry on that tradition. So let's stand as I read a few passages of scripture here. This is going to be uh, the Great Commission. Um, as soon as I get to it here. And it's Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's flip over to John 15, 18. That's another one I want you to, we were going to talk about. 15, 18, and 19. John 15, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus talking. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hate you, right? Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> so, there's a lot of greats from the Bible, and we're going to kind of go through why is the Great Commission important to us is what I want to talk about, because it's important to have a purpose because having a plan without a purpose is like having a road map with no destination, right? It's like opening up Google Maps but not putting anything in, right? So it's important to have a purpose. So why is the Great Commission important to us? I think there's three things. It's a authority, the authority of Jesus that's talked about, teaching obedience by being obedient, and the promise of Jesus' presence, the first one, authority of Jesus. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we all love to challenge authority, except when someone challenges our authority, right? And look at this uh, little cartoon here with a dog. But they, you know, everybody with their bumper stickers question authority and the dog won't get in the car. We all love to question authority until someone questions our own authority, Right? Well, I guess, guess what? Jesus does challenge our authority. Jesus does challenge our authority. He says, I am the authority. All the authority has been given to me. This must be at the core of every Jesus follower to submit to Jesus' authority. And really, if you think about it, if someone has to tell you to respect them, 
If someone has to tell you to respect them, it's, it's kind of on a slippery slope that it might not ever happen, right? We should respect Jesus just because of what he did for us on the cross, right? We should listen to him in all the areas of our lives. Jesus shouldn't have to tell you, you should just do it. Recognizing Jesus' authority is the foundation, I think, of the Great Commission. It's a reminder that our mission is not based on our strength, but on his strength. It's not based on our strength, but his strength. It's all about Jesus. Do you see a theme here? It's all about Jesus. And then it says, teach obedience by being obedience. It says in 19 and 20, it said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, all of his parents know this saying, and just, you know, you can laugh if you've said this before, because we've all has, don't do as I say, but as I, no, I screwed that up. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, not as I do. And I've never said those words exactly to Elsa, but I think I've come around and said it that in a roundabout way. Just do what I'm saying, you know, right? So it is a commandment for us to go and make disciples. We're not only to teach them to obey everything I commanded, but we're also to show the same obedience ourselves. That's the best way to teach obedience, right, is to show obedience, right? Does that make sense? Obedience is going and making. I love this, going and making. I think going probably could mean evangelism. Going. Go and do some evangelism. Making, I think making is all about making disciples, right? Going and making. Participating, going in the making, participating in the Great Commission, in a way, challenges us both to obey and to teach others to obey. And parents, this is very important when we have kids, right? The Lord knows our love for him by our, our obedience to him. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, it says. Parents, we, we know this. We know the best way to teach obedience is to show obedience, right? Not just to talk about it, but to show it. Parents, I think it's very important, especially if you have young kids, to have a plan in place, a long-term long -term plan in place to teach obedience to Christ in your children. I think it is so important from as early as you can, teach them to go and to tell and to serve. And you teach them by them watching you. And they are watching you be obedient or not be obedient. Right? When we humble ourselves to Jesus' commandment to be obedient and to love, it increases the presence of Jesus in all areas of our life. This means the big three. The big three, what are the big three areas of our life? Our schedules, right? Our money, right? And our children, right? Those are the big threes to be obedient in, right? I wasn't going to get on this rant, but I have to. I think the Lord's telling me to. I have been on this tangent for the last 10 years because I've seen 
youth ministry go this way in the last 10 years, and just families in general go this way in the last 10 years. I've been doing this for <laughs> just a little while. <laughs> um, you've probably done the math, so you probably know how old I am. So here's a, here's a sneaky thing that the enemy has done, is to keep families, especially young families who are just starting, as busy as possible. They keep them so busy that other things fall to the wayside, except for that schedule. They keep that schedule no matter what. There's a prevailing thought that is starting to happen, happen that sports and activities and other things require sacrifice, but spiritual training and church and ministry is only happens if it's convenient. What I mean by that is this game or this activity or this whatever, it's going to require sacrifice come from us because we've paid for it. It's going to happen no matter what. And church, hey, if we can make it, we can make it. If we can't, we can't. That's a prevailing thought. And that's something we need to think about, parents, because I promise you, if you don't have a plan for your children, the enemy does. The enemy has a plan. So it's just something to think about. Rant over. The rant is over. These things are way easier to say than to do. So how in the world are we supposed to know what Jesus wants in the first place? Well, good for us. He gave us God's word, and we can look at it. Romans 12.1 is a great example. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, his good, I'm sorry, his good, perfect, I can't say this right, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what, Paul, what is really Paul telling the Christians in Rome? And to telling us today, he's telling us this. Here's what I want you to do, people. This is what Paul's saying. This is a little TIV version, Truett International version for you. This is what Paul is telling them, telling us. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, going to school, walking around life, and give it to God as an offering each and every single day. Each and every single day. Making it an offering in obedience. The best way to teach obedience is to be obedient, right? Another thing about purpose is the promise of presence. The promise of presence. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, it says, right? Can anyone remember being taught how to ride a bicycle? I can remember teaching Elsa how to ride a bicycle. We taught her at my grandparents' house at this old, we had the, we found this old clunkety bike laying beside my grandpa's shed that we didn't even know was there because she was bored to tears being the only kid there. And we decided we were going to teach her how to ride the bicycle while she was there. And everybody knows how you learned old school when you used to learn how to ride. Now the kids got these strider bikes with no pedals. I don't get it. You don't get it. I don't get it. My niece has a little strider bike with no pedals and she. You know, going around. Now, the old school way of doing it, and we all know this, 
is you get your kid right in the middle of the parking lot, some nice gravelly asphalt. No, I'm kidding. No, I told Elsa to stay on the grass, so when she fell, she wouldn't hurt be hers bad. But Elsa remember this. I would get behind her, right, and I would push her and get her going on those pedals, right, and get her going, right, get her going, get her going, get her going. And you know what? She started getting it where I was not really even doing anything, but just my presence there, being behind her, gave her the confidence to go forward. Anybody ringing this ringing a bell for anybody? And then what happens as soon as she didn't, even though I wasn't helping her at all, as soon as I left, what happened? She fell over. <laughs> she fell over. So the promise of Jesus' presence is important. But here's the thing about Jesus. He physically doesn't have to be there because he's living inside of us. He's living inside of us, giving us that little push on the way because his promise of presence is there. She actually got it on like the second or third try, and then she was riding like crazy. Never even did training well. She did training with us for a little while, but I was so proud of her. She just really pulled it off. So Jesus reminds us his presence, of his presence as we tackle the Great Commissions, as we tackle the things that God has called us to. He is, within, he is with us and within us in every step, providing comfort and strength and guidance because Jesus cares about us. In his last words on earth, Jesus gives us our marching orders. These, the Great Commission, was the last time that he said something to us on this earth. They were important, right? He was giving us our marching orders to make sure the disciples were actually getting it this time. Do you know they didn't get it a lot of the time? Do you know the disciples didn't get it a lot of the time? They didn't get it a lot of time. I mean, at the Last Supper, you can look at the Last Supper where Jesus pretty much tells them in John 13, we won't stay on this very long, I'm just thinking about it, they still weren't getting it. John 13, in there, it talks about how Judas was going to portray them. He, he set them all down, he said, okay, one of you guys in here is going to portray me. And of course, who's the loudmouth that speaks up? Simon Peter. Simon Peter was like, oh, well, whoa, hold, hold on, dude. Someone's going to betray you. Well, you tell us who it is. And Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to give a piece of bread to somebody, and that's going to be the one that betrays me. He gives a piece of bread, and in John it says, that's when Satan entered Judas, right? He hands Judas a piece of bread. Satan enters Judas. The next word is spoken to Judas, and he says this to Judas. Whatever you have to do, do it quickly. And they were all, the disciples still didn't get it. They were wondering, what is he talking about? Because in verse 28, verse 28 says, no one at the table understood what he was talking about. You can look it up, John 13, 28. They still didn't get it. So Jesus was trying to break it down for them and for us even better, Right? That these were our marching, marching orders, and these marching orders depended on his power. That we're dependent on his power, we're blessed with his presence, and bought with his blood. Amen? It was bought with his blood. I mean, it sounds a little obvious, right, to say God cares about the nations or God cares about the Great Commission, but he does. And because the Lord cares, we should care too, right? We should care too. I always tell the kids, when you start getting close to Jesus, the things that are important to Jesus start becoming important to you. Oh, my goodness, say it. Don't spray it. Start becoming important to you, right? The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, he always said this, 
The Great Commission is not an option to consider. It is a commandment to obey. And I think that's why Daniel has us say it at the end of every service. It is not an option. It is a commandment. Okay, understanding the power. Understanding the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. And that is kind of like, uh, you know, the Great Commission is in all the Gospels, and it is in, it's also, a lot of people would say this is the great, great Commission in Acts, right? So a power for serving and telling others. As a follower of Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit is the one empowers us to tackle the Great Commission in our lives. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses, Acts 1.8 says. Going and telling and serving. We are not left to try to do this Great Commission in our own strength. It is God's Holy Spirit that provides the necessary power. How do you receive this power? Truett, how do you get this power of the Holy Spirit? Well, it all comes back to Jesus, right? It all comes back to surrendering and believing in Jesus. By declaring with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and by believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you become one of his children. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. I mean, what if, you just think about it, why is these things having power so important? Having literal power. Does anyone at their house have like three or four or five or ten or twenty chargers to these things? The first thing that with kids, when they go somewhere, they want to know two things. Where can I plug in my phone and is there Wi-Fi? And they want to keep this sucker juiced up all the time, no matter what. All the time, no matter what. I saw a video that was hilarious, and I just remembered, you know, it's about it when you're preaching. I remembered it this morning, and I didn't have time to upload it, but I'll do it a little reenactment for you. A guy did a video where he said, what if we looked at our Bibles like we do our phones? Have you ever seen kids, someone doing this through the airport? Early on, there was an app that they developed that you could text, and it, it, you were texting, but it, it, it enabled your camera so you could actually see where you were going while you were texting, right? How about this? You're sitting, you're sitting, down, you're sitting down at the table or in school, or in class, or whatever you call, and you get the thing right here, and now, what if we started seeing people walk through airports like this? What if we started seeing people do this? Their Bible's in their back pocket. You know, you see what I'm saying? We got to stay connected to the power, connected to God's Holy Spirit, spirit connected to God's Holy Word. I wish I could show that, that video. Maybe I can get Daniel to post it on Facebook or something. It's really, really good. So another thing about the Spirit, the power gives us the power, the Spirit gives us the power of understanding truth. The Spirit gives us the power to understanding truth. 
Because it says, when he, the Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God's word to us, guiding us to our understanding and equipping us to share it with others. Right? And when we receive this power, we can truly start understanding the truth, maybe for the first time. It, and when we do that, when we get the Holy Spirit in our lives, and here's the thing. The kids don't get a junior Holy Spirit. Elementary kids, preschool kids, teenagers, they don't get a junior Holy Spirit. They get the Holy Spirit. So they're not off the hook either. They got God's Holy Spirit living in them too, right? And it gives us an understanding of the Scripture and of God's things that we've never had before. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you right now, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you're not one of God's children yet, I hope you will be, but you, don't, you can't understand what I'm talking about. I hope, you, I hope you take that invitation today if you haven't. And everybody knows someone that has changed after they have really received God's Holy Spirit. I had a pastor back in Oregon that he said true, a true conversion a true conversion needs no follow-up. A true conversion of God's Holy Spirit and, and becoming one of God's children doesn't require a follow-up. That means when someone gets saved, their life changes. They crave it. I've seen students that came to know the Lord at Fields of Faith, and I can tell you right now, I have seen a change in them. And I know some of them don't have it easy to get to church and to get to youth group or to be put themselves in the right place, but I have seen a change. I, won't, I, I have their names right on front of my head, and I won't say them out loud to put pressure on them, but I know who they are, and some of you know who they are too, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, things change, and you crave God's things because of the Holy Spirit, and it all starts at salvation. It all starts at salvation. I mean, you can look at Simon Peter before the Holy Spirit and after the Holy Spirit. And you can look in Acts at Simon Peter at Pentecost. Before the Holy Spirit, he was impulsive. He was weak-willed. He was fearful. Anybody remember him cutting off a guy's ear? Cutting off a guy's ear when Jesus was arrested? Very impulsive, right? Jumping out of the boat, very impulsive. Before the Holy Spirit, he receives the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he preaches one of the best sermons maybe in the Bible, not by Jesus. Maybe one of the best sermons ever preached in the Bible. He was no longer inconsistent or stumbling or unstable. He was transformed in a spirit-controlled, bold preacher of the gospel. He was no longer full of eyes, but full of Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit gives us an amazing insight and understanding into the truth of God and his voice in our lives, right? One last thing about the Holy Spirit, about the power the Holy Spirit's power is rejected by the world. Just, I'm going to get you guys out of here on time, I promise. The Holy Spirit's power is rejected by the world. John 15, 18. And we read it. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Right? Students and adults, when we suffer at the world's hands, we are, not, we are just following in Jesus' footsteps. We suffer at the world's hands. And we ought to count it as joy. To suffer for Jesus. You guys remember the little footprints in the sand poem, right? 
Jesus, uh, we had two sets of footprints, and then I noticed that when I was having some hard times, I only saw one set of footprints, and, and Jesus says, that's when I was carrying you. See, I never understood that poem because when it went to one, one set of footprints and Jesus had to carry me, my footprints would be all messed up because I'd be fighting Jesus the whole time. Don't go. I got this under control. And my footprints would be all messed up. I never got that poem very much. But it reminded me of this when we lived in Colorado. And we lived in the mountains. And we got snow like crazy snow, y'all. Like crazy snow. Crazy snow. And we couldn't get anywhere. We'd get snowed out of our house. And we had to walk through somebody's property to get up to our house. It was just on top of a ledge of the, the mountains. Our house was built into the back of the Rocky Mountains. And Elsa, she tells me she was 10 or 11. I thought she was like 3 or 4. The other day she told me she was 10 or 11. She was like 10 or 11, little, little. And we had snow up past our knees. And we had to carry the groceries. We couldn't carry Elsa. So what did she have to do to make her way to get through the snow? She had to follow in our footsteps, right? She had to follow in our footsteps. It was comforting for her to have a direction, but I can tell you this, it still wasn't easy for her. Jesus gives us a direction and a heading, but it's not easy because the world will reject us. The world will reject us because it rejects us because of God's Holy Spirit, just like Jesus told us. Students, I know that you're attacked at every turn, especially when you stand for Jesus and for your faith. At school, I know you're attacked at every turn, especially when you're following Jesus' way. Do not believe Michael Scott from The Office. This is a quote from Michael Scott from The Office. And it's hilarious. Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject so you know you're getting the best information possible. That is crazy town, right? And we know that. That guy, he's a ding-dong, let me tell you. He's, he's hilarious, though. The world is not the best source for living. The world is not the best source for living. The more opinions you find, the more crazy you will find, Right? This word is not the feel-good news, it's the good news. It might not make us feel real great sometimes because it gets up in our business, right? But it's the good news. It's the good news. Students, listen, especially you guys over here, wherever you are over here. Students, listen. When you are doing right for Jesus, the world wants you to think and feel differently. The world wants you to think that you are doing wrong. The world wants you to think that you're being hateful, that you're being judgeful, that you're not inclusive. But please understand, when you are living boldly for Jesus and getting attacked for it, that you are actually doing good. When living in the Spirit, persecution will come to us just as it did for Jesus. Right here in John, Jesus tells us that it will happen ahead of time and that we shouldn't be surprised. Just realize when you're getting pushed back for living for Jesus and you're getting attacked, just realize it's just fulfilling what Jesus was telling us about. It's just how the world reacts when Jesus' people are doing Jesus' things. It's just how the world reacts. I'm a big Deion Sanders fan. I'm sorry, I have so much football. Prime time, right? Coach Prime. I've been watching Coach Prime on, on Amazon. And Coach Prime has his own language. Deion Sanders has his own language, right? He really motivates his players and stuff. And Deion Sanders is always saying something very 
uh, interesting. He's always saying that we are built different. We are just built different. I'm going to skip some stuff here because I'm going long that I've just realized. And hope you guys are warming up. Let's just go to understanding the person of Jesus Christ. And this goes to how we serve. Whatever you do, it says in Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are not serving, you are serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.23, it's all for Jesus. I believe we are called to serve, and Jesus has to be the primary person that we are serving. What do you mean by that, Truett? No matter what we are doing, Scripture calls us to remember and to rejoice in the truth that all of our work and service is really for Jesus, is really for Christ. The Apostle Paul knew this. You can look all through his books and his letters. He knew this. Paul referred to himself as, as a servant of the Lord throughout all his writings. He understood that we are called to serve and to follow and to above and obey Christ above all, all others. Now, I can find, I'm sorry, in his letters and books, I can't find anywhere where Paul said this. I can't find this anywhere in Paul's writings. Paul and Timothy, servants of the church. I can't find that anywhere. Paul, the servant of the saints at Rome. I can't find that anywhere. Paul, the, servants, the servant of Ephesus First Baptist. I can't find that anywhere. There might have been Ephesus First Baptist. I don't know. Paul, the servant of the Corinth Food Bank. I can't find that anywhere. What I can find in Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Then what then, Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. 2 Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. When we serve Jesus first, we can serve others regardless of their response to us. Regardless of their response to us. I've been serving teenagers for a long time. And they're not really that easy to serve. <laughs> they're a lot of fun. But sometimes it's hard, right? And you guys know this with serving, serving people, right? Because we are really not serving them, right? We're, but we're serving Christ. When we serve those in need in Danville, we are not serving that single mom and their little girl. We are serving Christ first. When we are serving those who seem to mess up over and over again, we are not serving that knucklehead. We are serving Jesus. When we serve Jesus first, we start to see what Jesus sees first in people. And what Jesus sees first in people is he sees their potential instead of their problems. He sees their potential instead of the other problems. I believe satisfaction in serving only comes when you serve Christ alone. Serve Christ alone. Okay, and as we wrap it up, um, Jesus is always with us, but we need to focus on him. We do have the choice to step into his power. Everyone here has a choice to step into his power. And Jesus is inviting you to partner with him in his power. Will you accept that invitation today? Will you accept, accept that invitation today? It really just all starts with Jesus. It really just all starts with Jesus. Let's pray if the worship team comes forward.
Father, we just thank you so much for bringing us here today, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord, and how much life it gives, Lord. And I pray that we would draw closer to you, closer to your presence, Lord, and closer to your word day by day, Lord. Lord, convict us when we get away from doing things your way, Lord. Convict us when we get to be too comfortable in the world, Lord. Lord, bring us to ourself, Lord. Bring us to yourself. Let us decrease so you can increase in us, Lord. I thank you for this morning, Lord. It's an honor to be in your service. I just pray that you give everyone a safe trip home and a great rest of the afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.